After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America College podcast, a new era of the Baseball America College podcast. It's kind of like the old era. Same people, John Manuel, Aaron Fitt. But this time we're, we're actually in the same place uh, physically and geographically. Aaron, I think this only happened uh, in Omaha in the last three years, but uh, here we are with our new Blue Yeti microphone and the Baseball America podcast nook. I gotta tell you, John, I feel like uh, I feel like Ed McMahon here. You are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> hey, oh, awesome! <laughs> Competing Ed McMahon impersonations. He hasn't been on TV in twenty years. I wish I wish Tom Kite were in our house here. We'd be ready to go. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Tom Kite reference. Well, that, that's like from Carcinio. That is that is Carcinio, exactly. That is outstanding. See, I thought about that this week when I saw the Jay Leno and Jimmy Fallon sign-offs on their shows. I was like, if only, you know, if only we had someone who did a really good Jay Leno impersonation. And I don't think anyone wants to do a Jimmy no, Fallon impersonation. So, so um, on that high note, the college podcast is, by, is back. Uh, all our college coverage, so much of it already up at BaseballAmerica.com. Um, Aaron, I, I was at a scrimmage last week. You were t- finally taking your last week to, you know, take a little downtime before the college season is upon us. Of course, that meant you were working from home, and you probably did work every single day. So um, it's a labor of love uh, covering college baseball because it does uh, – it can grind. But uh, the next 14 weeks um, of the regular season and then four weeks of the postseason, this is shaping up as a pretty intriguing year as we get – uh, the third or is it the third or fourth year of the BB Core era? Fourth year now? Uh, let's see. I think it's the, the fourth first year, year was was, was 11, 2011. Yeah, so it's the fourth year of the BB Core era. Yeah. So and, and the, the talk of the off season was basically baseballs. Um, I, I hope uh, that when they change the baseballs, that we get to a point where we don't have to talk about the equipment yeah. very much anymore. But we are in this uh, offensive or not offensive environment. Um, well, so, so that's always a storyline that's hanging over college baseball. But when we evaluated the, the, the teams and came up with the preseason top 25, uh, it does still seem like power is that separating factor. That's what led to the Indiana Hoosiers being on the cover of the magazine with Sam Travis and uh, I always forget Schwarber's first name. Kyle. Kyle. Why can't I remember Kyle oh, Schwarber's hey Kyle. first name? Exactly. Kyle Schwarber and Sam Travis on the cover of the magazine. That's uh, one of the reasons why Virginia was number one. Um, is is that still a, a big storyline this year? Who has the power and who doesn't? I think so. I mean, I think it's fascinating, and and I think it's clear now. UCLA showed everybody once and for all. You don't need power to win in Omaha. And in fact, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the, on the Google Hangout last week. I yeah. think um, some of the big power hitting teams of this BB Core era have really. Um, 
wet themselves in Omaha. <laughs> Fouled the bed. That's the term it. I was looking That's for. That's the old callousism we like to they, use. They, you know, I mean, that, that, that great Florida team right. um, a couple of years ago, and all those, that great class were all juniors, their third year in a row in Omaha. They went 0-2, I believe, that, yeah, that they season did. in Omaha. They, they struggled both years. And they got to the finals in 2011, and they went 0-2 in 2012. But they still struggled offensively right. in 2011. Like They had the long home run by Preston Tucker that right, right. sticks in my head. Probably still the longest home run hit right, there. Probably. And that Vanderbilt team also was a yep. power-laden team with Aaron Westlake and Connor Harrell and those kind of guys. And, and they performed better there. They did. But, and and but you know what? Last year, I mean, North Carolina, the preseason number one for us, had a lot of power. Yeah. And and they went to Omaha, and they, they finished in the Final Four. I mean, there's, but, you know. But South Carolina, Arizona, UCLA, the last three champions in this BB Core era in the new TD Ameritrade ballpark, they weren't built on power. They were built on really pitching defense, basically. And Arizona, to me, though, they were the most offensive of those three teams. Yeah. And, and they remind me, and again, I alluded to this in that choppy hangout. You probably got cut off while I was talking. <laughs> right. But, um, they remind me of this Virginia team. I mean, I think they're constructed very similarly with that kind of athleticism, the physicality, the guys who can drive the gaps and get doubles and triples. And you know what? Indiana's like that, too. And that's why I don't think just because they can hit a lot of home runs and might lead the nation in home runs, um, I don't think that means they're not suited to succeed in Omaha. I think they're good hitters who drive the gaps. And, and, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed from our college preview issue was that great feature um, about, you know, uh, Schwarber and Travis and the whole Indiana program. Dustin, don't call me uh, Kyle. Uh, what was Dopyrick's first name? Brian, Brian Dopyrick. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the only other person I've ever seen with a name Dopyrick like Dustin has as his last name. It's kind of cool. he did a great job in this story. He did, and and I love the the quote from Tracy Smith about how in this era you kind of have to re envision power. Power is not just home runs now. It's it's teams that can drive the, drive the gaps and get extra bases. I mean, yep. if you're strong enough to get it to the wall. Um, that's a separator. Yeah, and Virginia has. A ton of guys who can do that. Indiana has a ton of guys who can do that. I, I think it's kind of neat. Our, at the top of the rankings, Aaron, you have, to me, the two offensive teams in Virginia at one, Indiana at three. And then you have Oregon State and Cal State Fullerton, your kind of more classic West Coast teams. Certainly Cal State Fullerton can bang it too, and certainly Oregon State has a tandem in Conforto and Davis that can do it. Right. But both those teams still play a little bit more of the – uh, the, the the West Coast style that has prevailed in Omaha the last couple of years. Yep. But the defining characteristic of all four of those teams is there's athletes. There's athleticism to go with outstanding pitching. Indiana probably has the weakest power pitching of all those groups, but they still have very good college pitching. They do. Um, all, all four of those teams, uh, I, I don't think it would stun us if any of those four teams won the national championship. I mean, that's uh, there wasn't a huge difference no. between those four teams at the top of the rankings, correct? No, there wasn't. Not for me. And, and I, I do think, you know, when you grade them all out using the fit matrix. We love it. We love the fit matrix. Uh, Virginia did score the highest. And I think that Virginia, I think, tied that, that Florida team um, in, what was that, 2012? 2012 when they returned, yes, after they won, lost in the finals to South Carolina in 11 and then uh, came back in 12. Yeah, I think Kent, that's... That's what Kent State made. That was the highest fit matrix I remember. That's right, and, and I think Virginia tied that score. As far as just, you know, grading them out on paper, they look... I, mean, I just think they look loaded. And, and I wrote in the, in the college preview that I, I think they have a chance to be the best offensive team of this BB Core era. Um, but, you know, there's some other teams that I think are, are in that discussion this year. I mean, the Indiana team, and, and you know... Louisiana Lafayette, you're yep. looking down the rankings a little bit for a, for a team that can make some real noise. They're number 14 in our rankings, um, but they're, they're, they have a really, really good offensive club coming back, and, and they scored 
second highest in the fit matrix if you're just grading it out on paper. That's uh, they are analogous to 2011 Yukon. They are. Yukon came out that year, and the fit matrix either number two or number three in terms of just like pure talent. And the thing is, not just George Springer, not just Matt Barnes. You just go down that uh, Yukon team. All the guys from that Yukon team who were thought of as pro prospects have had good professional careers. Nick Ahmed, I saw him in the Fall League. It's the first time I've ever seen him in person, not just on TV or yeah. video. Nick Ahmed makes every freaking Great play. Player. And he just he is he's Adam Everett. He's Paul Yanish. He's just like those guys. Tall, lean, athletic, makes all the plays defensively, bats a little light. And Lafayette's got a guy like that in Blake Trahan. Exactly where I was headed. Blake Tra- so you have this difference-making athletic shortstop. Uh, Lafayette has athletes. I don't know if they have the pitching that UConn had. That's the, and, that's the question with Lafayette is will these – the key for me to their whole team, can these junior college transfers that came in, these bounce backs, yeah. um, Carson Baranek and, and Greg Milhorn, two big arms that, that, that showed well in the fall – um, have a chance, you know, these guys start out in the SEC at LSU and Arkansas. I mean, they're, 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 they're quality arms. Yeah, Baranek so. was, I just remember Baranek was a guy especially who kind of popped up the draft list that spring. Uh, was a long toss guy, was throwing uh, low to mid-90s, really jumped up some draft board, then kind of faded as the draft approached, went up at LSU. Now, some of those guys turn out to be really big time guys, and some of them turn into Curtis Dupart. Right. We right. All, yeah, that's an inside BA joke. Uh, from back in the day where Curtis Dupart blew up and then faded away and went up at Georgia Tech and then went up at Lewis-Clark State. And, you know, some of those guys just, they, they flash it so they get those high, they, they would get into those schools and then they uh, wind up with their consistency. They're not uh, as consistent as they need to be to be that good and to be big-time contributors. And like you said, Louisiana Lafayette, they're banking on those talents. But I, I do, I think their lineup uh, shows a, there's power there, there's athleticism, yeah, there's strength up the defense. middle. Right, so... Uh, there's a lot to like uh, with that club, and and they also have they also have experience in the bullpen, and I think that matters. You got they got four seniors that they're really going to be leaning on in the bullpen. Close games, I mean, you know, I think that gives you an edge when you when you got those experienced guys who've been through the battles. I just think of two teams last year that fit that bill. Uh, South Alabama was kind of a surprise yeah. team, yeah. really built from the bullpen forward, and then NC State. NC State was another team that was like that, where uh, their starting pitching struggled outside of Carlos Rodon, especially and including Carlos Rodon early in the year. And then Josh Easley and Chris Overman and uh, Grant Sasser. It's like senior after senior. Uh, NC State's on my mind because they're number five in our rankings, the next team there. Aaron, the, the, the next, the five through ten in our rankings were uh, pretty southern-flavored. NC State and Florida State from the ACC, South Carolina, Mississippi State, LSU, Vanderbilt from the Southeastern Conference. One quick thing to touch on here that we've touched on on the web, we have not touched on on a podcast. Let's talk real quick about Jameis Winston, Aaron. We got a little pub about Jameis Winston being our third-team All-America utility player. Uh, I don't know that the reaction to it was always intelligent. (laughs) Um, The reason I say that is it seemed like people didn't understand or don't understand that Jameis Winston is talented, but the pool of players that he was competing with is quite small in terms yes. of legit third-team All-America players. The only guys I could think of, so A.J. Reed was our first-team two-way guy. I'm already blanking on who was second-team. Um, I should have put you on the spot like that. I have the magazine right in front of me, so I should just look it up. But, of course, I can't find it. I haven't read this. I know that we wound up J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis. Uh, as second, okay, so Davis also got votes at, at in the outfield. He could have been the second team outfielder, as was Dylan Davis. So, so Winston tied for fifth in the balloting. Two of the guys ahead of him in the balloting 
were on made the All-America team at other positions. Dylan Davis, who hardly pitches at Oregon State, and Matt Chapman, who has only pitched for the college national team with USA Baseball. And then when um, when we called uh, Coach Vanderhoek at Cal State Florida, he said, look, he's not pitching this year. So we thought we, we're going to move him off the team. The outfield group is not a strong outfield group, so Dylan Davis, we decided to put him as an outfielder. Um, more as a, thought he was more deserving of being a second-team outfielder than being a third-team utility guy. Right. So that means A.J. Reed, J.D. Davis, Winston uh, had a higher – I think he had a first-place ballot and, and that broke the tie with uh, the other person, which is the way we break all of our ties. We got more high ballots. Sure. Um, you know, who got a higher placement. So it was just really a straight vote. I mean, like, I, I'm a little bit surprised at the reaction to it. The point is he's legitimately talented – third-team All-American, with some real gap between his talent and what he's going to accomplish on the field. But he's got a pretty important role forecast to be the closer for the number six team in America. And probably a starting DH also. I mean, he's going to be a legit two-way guy, which makes him, you know, separate from from Matt Chapman. Who right. Matt Chapman got all those two-way votes because he threw 98 uh, yeah, for, for Team USA for a couple of innings yep. in Japan this summer. And right. that's it. And it's just the buzz. Winston is actually going to play two ways, yeah, and and that matters. And you know, I think you could have made a case. I was surprised Nick Howard didn't get more support. That's the guy for me that would have been a natural right. fit as a two-way player, All-American. He didn't get the votes. That's the best. That's the best uh, answer I've seen. Uh, is uh, is Nick Howard of Virginia? He would have been the fifth Virginian on the <laughs> yeah. on the team. Maybe that's why he didn't get the votes. I mean, who knows? Right. Uh, maybe that's why he. Maybe people thought they were filling out enough Virginias, but. Uh, Scouting directors uh, voting on this is, to me, uh, what makes our team so much fun. Yep. It seems to irritate people. I think it's fun to try to identify the players based on what we think is going to happen, yep. not what has happened yes. in the past. That's what makes our preseason All-America team, I think, entertaining. Um, I think it does entertain people. I think we only hear from the people who are not entertained. You know, I'm going to address this, John, because there, so. there is a perception out there that Baseball America only cares about pro prospects. And, I understand that. And, and they, hate the fact, they hate the fact that we let scouts choose the All-American team. Well, why are you calling it a preseason All-American team? Then it should be a prospect list. Exactly. Well, first of all, okay, we do a postseason All-American team that is based on performance over the course of the season. It could be called like the David Berg, uh, Jack Krofcheck All-Stars. I, I mean, mean like, you don't have to throw 80 miles an hour to be on our postseason All-American team. That's right. And David Berg, by the way, was also voted on the second team by scouting directors because Correct. they're not clueless. I mean, you know, they do recognize great performers, and that guy has... You better recognize. He, he's, he's, he's good enough. I mean, he's going to... You'll have a chance at pro ball. He's not an elite prospect, certainly. But, but right. You can see guys... You see guys like David Berg in the big leagues. Right. Darren O'Day. Right. The occasional Darren O'Days, the Chad Bradfords, etc. But continuing on your point. Yeah, I mean, but the point is this. We obviously care a lot about the college game at Baseball America. I mean, anyone who is, has a clue, anyone who has a clue knows that. We, we, we talk about this stuff for an hour every Monday during the season. Yeah. We write countless words about the teams. We're talking about the team, not the players. And if you're listening to this, I'm probably preaching to the choir. But show me somebody else who dedicates, okay, how many pages to college baseball in here? Here's from page 10 to page 33, so 23 pages in print. 24 pages in print. Nobody does that. Nobody invests in print, as Lee Folger once eloquently put it. So, yeah, I think we put our money where our mouth is as far as our commitment to college baseball. And and, and I think it's instructive to see how the scouts view the talent from a position-by-position position standpoint heading into the season. You know, there, there, are other, there are other cases of guys who didn't have the stats in the past. Look at David Price. Uh, yeah. Heading, uh, somebody made this point on Twitter. 
heading into his junior year. He'd have a four-something ERA as a sophomore. He was because, like two and seven as yeah, a freshman. If you're basing it on numbers, he's not an All-American. But our scouting directors voted him as a first-team preseason All-American, and he backed it up. And there's a lot of guys like that. And, and Jameis Winston isn't the only guy with bad numbers on our team. It's not football hype. I mean, Kevin Crone hit 208 last year. He's talented. He had a good cape, and, he's, had and no he's voted com- on the All-American team. We had no complaints. There were no Kevin Crone complaints in that com- in that uh, comment section. That is shocking, Aaron. Shocking lack of Kevin Crone hatred <laughs> on our comment list. So we do appreciate the comments. I appreciate intelligent comments most. And I, uh, no one, and Aaron can vouch for this, no one appreciates passion and righteous anger like I do. That's right. Righteous indignation. I'm a I'm the king of it. So, um, but yeah, it does get a little old when you see uninformed righteous indignation. That and that is our main job is to inform. So uh, maybe we're not doing it well enough. I do think that you we keep getting comments on there like I don't understand why people don't understand this. And I, I definitely would like to give gold stars to some of those commenters. <laughs> uh, it, it does seem self evident, but I. I love that about the preseason All-America teams. I love that about our preseason rankings, though, that you know we take that talent evaluation into account, but we also notice what happened on the field last year. That's one thing that I think we noticed, Aaron, is that NC State and Florida State, those two teams were awfully good last year, and we kind of realized those teams are really returning a lot of talent. And those SEC teams that we mentioned, just rounding out the top ten, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Louisiana, Vanderbilt, all those teams have really high ceilings, and it's hard to pick – it looks like that Southeastern Conference, for me, feels like it's 10 to 12 really good teams, yep. and it's hard to pick which one will be the great team in the Southeastern Conference because they all yes. have a question mark here or there. And, you know, we've got eight of them in our top 25, and then you look outside that, I think Kentucky feels like if, yeah, you know, right if the they border. play up to talent, they could be a top 15 team. Um, I think Ole Miss, I certainly look at them and I say this should be a regional team, but right. I mean, that's, that gives us 10. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Tennessee, which I've been telling people for a while. I mean, yeah, I think they're going to have a pretty interesting club this year. That could be a regional team. Would Where not do they shock, fit? Would not shock me if Tennessee, if this were the breakthrough year for Dave Serrano's yep. club with the Vincent Jacksons and the A.J. Simcoxes of the world, see what kind of, what kind of effect uh, his son Kyle Serrano has uh, as a first-round talent last year. I'm fascinated a little bit by Mississippi State, Aaron, because they made that run last year. Uh, losing in the finals uh, to UCLA. Uh, obviously, they lost all-time personal cheese ball, Hunter Renfro. He may have retired the term. I may not use that term anymore. Hmm. Um, because it's, it's, but, but that's a team that last year did not have good starting pitching. That was typical. They're hard to rank because of the way they use their bullpen and their starting pitching. Do they have a guy, after losing Kendall Graveman, their only five-inning starter really last year, who's the most likely guys to, to be the rotation stalwarts uh, from Mississippi State, who could carry them back to Omaha and potentially back to the finals? I really think the key there is is Brandon Woodruff. You yeah. know, that's the guy that, if you're a Mississippi State fan, you're hoping this guy is going to do what Chris Stratton did a couple years ago. Yeah. And, and kind of, you know, after two years of not quite putting it together, he's gonna, it's going to click for him right. as a junior, and, he, and he'll be a first-round kind of guy and an All-American like Stratton was because he's got that kind of talent, and he's healthy finally, and he had a great fall. And, you know, all the reports I heard from scouts were raving about this guy. He could be your legit shutdown guy on Fridays. It's not for lack of arms. They have plenty of arms. Um, you know, they get Ross Mitchell back, who won, what, 12 games, 10 games from out of the bullpen right. last year. He had some offseason surgery, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure they're hoping that, uh, you know, I, I think he's supposed to be back and, and will be a, a key part back there. And college baseball's most patriotic closer, Jonathan Holder. That's and right. this wonderful picture they've taken of Jonathan Holder doing his Fernando Rodney-esque, like, I, for him, I actually believe that he probably shoots bow and arrow. Yeah. You know, he's probably killing deer with it in the offseason. 
um, or, or some kind of hunting creature. But he's got that pose, and he's got the flag draped all over him. And, um, you know, I can't believe Wes Ray's not, like, holding him up on yeah. his shoulder, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they had a lot of they had a lot of character, that, that Mississippi State team last did, year. Yeah. Hard to recreate that. Um, we, we have NC State with this junior class that we talk a lot about. South Carolina is another junior class. And we feel like we've been talking about these guys forever. But Joey Pancake, uh, Tanner English, Grayson Griner. I feel like we talked about those guys so much. Jordan Montgomery's had the best college career out of all those guys. Jordan Montgomery, right. to me, is the biggest reason why South Carolina is right now our SEC favorite, our highest-ranked Southeastern Conference team. I mean, he's just – he's Michael Roth 2.0, only throws harder. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. That's another guy. You know, we heard a few people say, you know, that's a guy that, that could have been on the All-American team, and that's one I – I mean, there are several guys. There are a lot of guys. This is a really – strong group of pitching in, in college baseball, as, as usual. I mean, we've right. talked about this. It, position players, the elite guys get drafted out of high school, yep. and, and you know, there's more of a chance to go to college and develop as an arm. But Montgomery, is he's an All-American caliber player. And, um, you know, I think Jack Winecoop behind him, that's a really nice one-two punch. I love the, the depth on that staff. I love the athleticism, the defense, and the fact that they've got all these guys – back from that team that, that reached the, the College World Series finals two years ago. Right. You know, I mean, Griner and Pancake and, and Montgomery were all key pieces yep. of a team that went very deep in the postseason. Um, I, I still think that matters, you know. They've, they've got all that experience. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously I think South Carolina, Mississippi State, LSU, Vanderbilt, you can put them in any order. And, right. You know, I, I had a hard time picking between those teams. Um, but, but for me, South Carolina has the best blend of experience and talent. Um, and bal- I just think they're a good balanced team. You know, um, out of these top teams, it's you know, the one team that when we do our first in-season ranking next Monday, the team that's most likely to drop is Oregon, no matter what they do on the field, just because Oregon's team has changed. Um, to ta- ta- tell our listeners a little bit if they haven't already known, you've written about it, uh, you broke the news. Uh, Cole Irvin, uh, their sophomore uh, 12-game winner from a year ago, out for the season with Tommy John surgery. How do the Ducks uh, recoup? From that uh, loss, it's a big loss. I mean, he is, um, you know, he's really good, John, and I feel bad for the kid, but uh, he'll be back, you know, in, in 2015. But they do have the arms, I think, to, to withstand it. But it, 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 you know, it changes the complexion of that team. And, and, and I think probably you'll see Matt Crook, um, the unsigned supplemental first round pick, right. not a bad fallback guy. <laughs> right. uh, he, I, I suspect he'll be the Saturday guy. Um, they have several candidates, you know, to, to slide into the rotation. I mean, Jeff Gold, the, the well-seasoned uh, veteran, um, you know, he's pitched a lot of innings for them. I mean, it's nothing fancy, but he's crafty. He can right. pitch. He's a, he'll be in the mix, I think. Um, you know, there, there's uh, there's uh, uh, Porter Clayton, you know, is, is um, you know an older guy who went on a mission for a couple of years there, but he's back. He's He had a good fall. He'll be in the mix. Um, you know, so, so, they, so the Ducks have plenty of arms, it sounds like. They do. And Jake Reed is going to stay in the bullpen for them. Okay. Um, you know, that's one thing that they, they, they played with this fall. They kind of liked how he fits back there. And, and it shows you again how important it is to, to have that, uh, that, that guy you can count on in the bullpen. Um, you know, and, and now they've got two with, with Garrett Clevenger and Reed. So really shortened games when you when you got this couple of guys back there. And so they're basically kind of pulling a, a, a Mississippi State in yep. some ways, building from the back. It seems like we just see so many teams. I mean, do Kansas that in State baseball. is another one that comes to mind. A team that uh, had even you know less 
reliable yeah. starting pitching than Mississippi State did last year, um, and, and you know went to super regional, nearly nearly went to Omaha. They gave Oregon State quite a run, right? Um, Great but, point. Uh, you know, and that team is built a little bit differently than Mississippi State. They have more offense, they're a more physical team, um, but their best arms are in their bullpen, and, and they work back to front. And I think about Rice. You know, the best arm on that staff is, is Lamont, right? Um, and, and he's kind of their stopper. You know, they'll use him in the middle innings and extend him if they need to. He's not just yep. one inning closer, but there's a lot of teams that do that, no doubt. And then we have three Pac-12 teams in the top 12, but then we only have three Pac-12 teams in the entire rankings, but. This is another team, another league, Aaron, where it seems like there are three teams that have separated themselves, but then there's a really, it's difficult to separate who the number four team is in the Pac-12. We've got, what, seven or eight Pac-12 teams um, uh, projected as regional teams. Who Who is the fourth best team? Is that probably Arizona State because of the pitching, and we're just kind of yeah. waiting and seeing on Arizona State with their with their bats, where the offense comes from? Yeah, I think so. I think Arizona State, to me, is, is still pretty intriguing, you know. Um, Ryan Burr has a chance to be special as a Friday guy. Yeah. I don't think, um, you know, he's he's got quite the elite level command. Maybe that um, that made Mark Capel, you know, for for instance, a guy who has similar arm strength and stuff, right. raw stuff. Um, you know, he was a really good Friday guy because he also had command and feel for pitching, which uh, we need to see that from Burr. Um, but you know, with him and Kellogg and, and Brett Lillick, it's three potentially shut down starters. Um, that'll give them a chance to win a lot of games and. Uh, the bullpen is really the thing that I want to see um, addressed. You know, if you're moving Burr out of the bullpen, you need a guy like Javier um, uh, uh, Bueno, you know, the junior nice. college transfer. He it sounds to, like a joke, but that's actually his name. It is, and he needs to come in and, you know, and, and really kind of solidify things. And they've got some candidates there, but I don't, I'm don't. i not in love with the depth of that pitching staff after the top three guys. Um, and, you know, the, the offense, you, you've got a couple of key pieces. Trevor Allen is back. They need, you know, Nathaniel Causey to come in and, and hit for some more power. Um, you know, he hasn't quite, um, take, you know, really harnessed his talent yet right. so far at Arizona State. But um, Dalton Natale is a guy that could have a pretty good year for him. He's got a nice swing, and he's got a little bit of physicality also. So I think Arizona State, I mean, they, they have questions to answer defensively, offensively, um, and, and certainly in the bullpen. But uh, they, they'll probably be a top 25 team at, at points this year. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that uh, – That'll happen. Um, and for me, the sleeper team in the Pac-12 is, is is really Washington State. You know, that's a team that I'm excited about. Another team that almost made the top 25 rankings. I mean, this is a, kind of a bold move, Aaron, where you get your top junior, probably their top junior, their highest drafted player last year, correct, and Jason Monda. Right. He doesn't sign. He comes back, and now they're adding pitching duties for him. I mean, I think he's thrown there in the past. Right. But he's never been a weekend rotation guy. Another guy who... Again, just didn't get votes, even though he's a six-round pick. Sure. Maybe the scouts just haven't seen him pitch enough. But his, it's they're projecting to expand his role uh, with the Cougs this year. And this is another pretty veteran team um, built kind of around him. Yeah, and, you know, he's going to play first base, too, and he's a guy that has a nice swing and can hit for power. And I think there's some more pop in this lineup, too. Um, you know, a guy like Ben Roberts has a lot of raw power, has never really performed. He needs ben to Roberts, do it. Ben Roberts, Ben Badler? <laughs> ben Roberts, Green Ellis. Exactly. How can I put that? Yeah. Um, which, one, which one will people get? Yale <laughs> um, Rosen. You know, that's a guy that uh, has a chance to, to. You know, he hit some power, uh, hit some home runs last year. It gives him a little bit of physicality in the middle of the order. It's a great name. Yale um, Rosen. It is a great name. I like, name. I, I like the catcher there, PJ Jones. I like uh, the shortstop, Trace Tam Singh. I mean, they're they're pretty strong up the middle. Um, Nick Tanalu's got a, a 
really nice, smooth swing at third base. Uh, and they've got some arm strength on the mound, too. I mean, Tanner Klaberod, great, great name. name. Outstanding name. Um, you know, he can run up there to 94, and I saw him pretty good last year. I think he's got a chance. Um, Scott Simon, big six foot eight, kind of sinker ball guy that reminds them of, of a Doug Fister type. And um, Kellen, don't call me Alberto Camus, uh, the literary right. closer. That's I love right. that. Yeah, they got a lot of good names on this team. What's the song? What's the big book that Alberto Camus uh, wrote? The yeah. Stranger? Is that him? Maybe not. I can't remember. I'm not Keith Law. I'm sorry. I don't have Alberto Camus at my fingertips. So. I just know the name. I'm not as. I just don't. Ha- I guess it's actually just Albert. So it's not even Alberto. That's like uh, there's some other player. I, oh, Albert Almora. I always call him Alberto Almora for some reason. So, yeah, that's what uh. Um, anyway, Aaron, uh, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm a little fascinated by the Pac-12. We've got USC projected a regional team for the first time yeah. in, in forever. So, to me, that league. And I keep talking to people in Southern California who say these guys are good. I mean, I just talked to another guy today who's based out there and seen them and is, is talking them up. You know, they're pitching depth and. Uh, the improvement in the sophomore hitters, um, you know, guys like Dante Flores and, and, and Jake Hernandez, some of these veterans have been around, are looking good for them. And, and you know, that team, I believe in them. I, th- I think they are a regional team this year. All right, so I think every year we kind of ask uh, the question, and you just you used to get it every year in the chat, hey, who's a team outside the top 25 who's most likely to, to break through and get to Omaha? And famously, two years ago, you said Stony Brook, and that was the year Stony Brook went to Omaha. I don't think I don't know if they would have been your answer last year, but I know Indiana was in that mix of teams. I think St. Louis was your big was your sleeper going into the year, and they made it yeah. to regionals and they had a good year. But Indiana was obviously the team that broke through last year, and you know you went to go see them in uh, in April and traveled up there and wrote about the whole Hoosier State, and you you told me at the time this team is full on legit. You went to the Big Ten tournament, you kind of rode that team all the way to Omaha, and they're. Good call. I'm forgetting all the missed calls, but I'm giving you credit for the ones that I remember that were good calls. I'll take the I'll take credit for those, Johnny. Who are some of the Who are some of the outside the top 25 team kind of that are sleepers kind of this year? I do want to talk about our crystal ball. I like our crystal ball picks. Yeah. But but who are some of the outside the top 25 teams that are Omaha type sleepers or even just kind of a year where that might make it for their program kind of make that big jump this year? You know, Cal Poly is, is a team that, that I find pretty intriguing. Um, they seem like they've been on this cusp for years. I, I know that the scouts on the West Coast really respect Larry Lee, the job that he does, the fact that they, they play, the, the style they play, the physicality. They've, they've done well with guys in the draft, uh, the Mitch Hanegers and Grant Desmies of the world, that kind of thing. They haven't quite gotten over that hump yet. You think this could be a year for Poly to do that? Yeah, last year was a big step for their program. You know, they were a two-seed in that UCLA regional. Um, they, you know, they, they had a good season. They kind of elevated that program. Now, I think they, they might be good enough to take that next step and, and maybe win a regional. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm not completely sold on, on their pitching. They've got some questions to answer there. Uh, but they do have a really good number one. They seem more physical Consistently yeah. than most West Coast teams, like that's a that's a characteristic that Coach Lee recruits well. That their staff recruits and seeks out is some physicality and again some power. That uh, and this is even after losing a guy like uh, David Amandaris, I guess was their first right. baseman who transferred after the other Cal Poly Division Two Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he was uh, a nice a nice piece of their their outfield mix last year. He's gone, but I mean, they they do have. Um, you know, the Mundell guy is backing a bunch of home runs for him. Um, you know, I think Jimmy Allen is a nice senior. He's going to have a good year. I, I, I like the, the, the shortstop they've got, uh, Van Gansen or 
Um, I think that's his name, but I mean, he's he's a, he's a right. good slick defender. The, the Big West in general seems pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, I think we always, uh, not always, but I know when uh, at the turn of the century, 12, 15 years ago, the Big West was seen as like one of the top conferences in college baseball. Right. And what has stopped it from being seen that way is that Cal State Florida has kind of dominated it in recent years. So much so there hasn't been that consistent second-best team. Right. That consistent number two. Poly has probably been the most consistent. I mean, Irvine, I would say, um, you know, they've they've been to more regionals, certainly. They've been to Omaha. They've been to Super Regionals. Right, the 07 team. I forgot about them getting to to Omaha. Right. And, you know, and and boy, I mean, they were one heartbreak away from getting back there that year they melted down in Virginia. I mean, they had that thing won. It is startling for me to forget about uh, Coach Gillespie. Certainly... I'm disappointed that I forgot about Coach Gillespie's club. But there hasn't been, like, I guess in my mind, that Long Beach State and Florida have that great rivalry, and they were both going to Omaha and producing first-round picks, and Long Beach was program falling down a bit. For me, affected the league's national profile because I've considered yeah. Long Beach State a national Omaha contender year in and year out. And I guess I should think of Irvine that way, but they haven't quite made that impact in my uh, psyche the way that that Long Beach State did. But it feels like this is a potential three or four bid league this year. Yeah, I think so, because UC Santa Barbara still has a lot back, and I've got them, I believe, projected as a regional team. Did. Um, and, you know, we talked about Pauly. Um, you know, Irvine's always going to be competitive um, with Gillespie there. It's just That's just a fact. Anyway. Certainly, Aaron, that's what we expect. You <laughs> just right. set me up. You just set me up. And, and Long Beach, I think, is has got a chance to, to get – you know, get into the regional mix too, and even UC Riverside. I kind of like some of their pieces. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got you know four to six teams that I could could see in a regional. I'm not saying they're going to get four to six bids, but four right. or six teams that could compete for th- three or four slots. It would be awesome if one of the other schools there besides Fullerton could host a regional. That seems like that's just such a big factor. Yeah. I know that just looking things up, uh, I forget who I was looking this up for, um, but just going through, just for example, North Carolina's regionals. You know, North Carolina beat Alabama in 06 on the road in a Super Regional to get to Omaha to break through under Mike Fox. But since then, every regional UNC has won has been a home regional, which yep. is nothing wrong with that. That's why you play. You win 50 games in the regular season. You, you know, Usually you're going to host. But not only have they hosted, Aaron, what we found is I don't think they've ever had an SEC team as their number two uh, seed at home. They've usually gotten a Coastal or a you know a Big South Elon. or a CAA or a SoCon champion as their number two seed, and those teams are worthy teams, good programs, consistent teams. East Carolina is another one they've you know, they've beaten, but it's not the same beating the Conference USA champion as it is beating an SEC team. And you know, just tougher to go through an SEC team. It just is. Um, look how you know East Carolina celebrated when they won their regional uh, at home against. South Carolina in 2009, the last time I think South Carolina didn't win a regional. So it, it's, it just, you know, it's, it, it just means so, it's so much easier to get to Omaha if you host. And so many of these West Coast schools don't host consistently enough, whether it's the NCAA uh, bias against them or whether they don't have enough. Like Cal Poly, do they even, can they even host? On campus, yeah, if they, they, they they've got a they've got a good facility. Baggett right Stadium, yeah. I believe, is what it's called. Yeah, they could certainly. I mean, I don't think it's a facilities issue with them, but you know, they've Poly has been one of those teams that There's I think. There's a of, fan issue though. They don't really have tremendous. Not, not necessarily Poly, but yeah. most of those schools just don't draw very well. That's true. So, um, but you know, I think I think if a team out there puts together a worthy resume, I mean, you know, we saw Pepperdine host several years back, and um, 
you know, Irvine USD, hosted. USD, well, they weren't on campus. They right. did it off campus. At they did. San Diego State. UC Irvine hosted that year that uh, they had Virginia and, and Strasburg in That's their regional right. in 09. That's right. Um, when Irvine, region of death. Irvine should have been the number one overall seed that year. Um, and, you know, I think they were the fourth, fourth seed. But, you know, they wound up, again, getting that ridiculous regional. But, um, yeah. It was San Diego State was their three. Strasburg was their three, right? Yeah. And UVA was their two. I forget. UVA, Even their UVA four. Was, was, their was, was Fresno their four? I think it was. That as a, as the fending yeah. national champions? That's it. That's it. Yeah, that was a ridiculous region. It's crazy. So, that, yes. does, that does happen much more often on the West Coast than it does And, and I think the reason for that is because, first of all, you've just got more teams elsewhere right. than you have in the West. And every school has to beat the teams in their regional right. to get to advance. I mean, that's how many why they're times, called regionals. That's it. I mean, how many times have Miami and Florida matched up? We talk about this all the time. Yes. Clemson, you know, and South Carolina lately have been matched up a bunch. They hadn't before. Yes. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the, the Carolina teams have to beat the other Carolinas teams. The Texas teams have to beat the other Texas teams. Exactly. Louisiana. I mean, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. It and is. Just there the aren't as many teams in the West, and so they get compacted. As, you know, I mean, I'm sorry you don't like it, but it's just the way it is everywhere. I mean, there's the West yes. isn't different from from the Carolinas, or I mean, there's many teams in North Carolina that are in California. Or think about, or let's think about Purdue. Purdue wins the Big Ten for the first time in 100 years, 104 years, and they get to host. But the reward is a year where the the Midwest was really strong. So they got a incredibly strong regional the year they hosted with an SEC team in Kentucky that was legit as their two, yeah. and Kent State as their three, and Kent State winds up going to Omaha. I mean, that was. That was a really tough regional. I mean, like, so Purdue, should Purdue not try to bid the host? That's that's not the way things are supposed to work. So right. th- you have to – I think it's very rare that teams skate through to Omaha. I, I don't think that happens. And I think we, we looked at it last year, and people thought North Carolina was going to skate through, and they didn't skate through. You know, um, South Carolina, I think sometimes you've looked at it and thought, oh, they, all they have to do is beat the Big East team to get to Omaha. Well, that year the Big East team was loaded. It was UConn. Yeah. You know, on paper, maybe in the fog of history 20 years from now, you're not going to remember how tough that Super Regional really was for South Carolina because they swept it. But that UConn team was legit. So um, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested there. And uh, I got off on this tangent. Cal Poly was one of your sleepers. Who are some other teams that are from outside the orbit of the top 25 and maybe outside the power conference orbit who uh, could surprise, maybe either win a regional or, or be a, make an Omaha run? You know, I like Sam Houston State again, and I think I said that heading into last year too, and, and they had a good year, and they got an at-large bid, I believe, after winning the, uh, the, the regular season uh, championship in that league, but Bearcats. But, you know, I mean, they they've got a lot back. They they did lose their their two left-handers who were kind of their their uh, rotation horses last year, but they still have a bunch of quality arms left. Um, you know, the, the Epley guy is, is I think has a chance to be a pretty good number one. Um, yeah, Tyler Epley. Tyler Epley, and then um, you know they've got some more some more quality arms behind him, guys that can run it up in there to the, you know, 92 or so. And you got experience in the bullpen, Jason uh, Sims, you know, kind of a lower slot guy we've talked about, one of those season closers you can count right. on. So they've got experience there. They've got a lot of experience in the lineup. I think they've got some some power potential and some speed and some, you know, some good defenders. Colt Atwood, I think, is a, is a catalyst, makes things happen for him. Um, you know, I like Anthony Azar a lot as one of those uh, senior guys that's just a really good college player and kind of the heart and soul of that team. Ryan O'Hearn is a breakout guy. Uh, I, I've liked his, his swing and his physicality for a couple of years in that Cal Collegiate League. He needs to put it all together now, and, and you know, he could do that. So um, they've got a lot of pieces there. I, I think that team could be dangerous. I, I, th- I know you mentioned UNC Wilmington is another team that you like. Mercer, again, Mercer's another one of these yep. programs 
it just seems like they put themselves in this conversation year in and year out, somewhat analogous to Cal Poly. Not right. necessarily right. the same. They haven't done it quite as consistently as Cal Poly. But this is a, uh, and this is a team that's in the BB core era that's really built an identity on offense. A guy like Nick Backland is like the new Jacob Tannis, you know. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. It just seems like they always have that veteran thumper in the middle of the lineup or two. And, they, and you know, they also have some guys who kind of broke it through. Aren't they Billy Burns' alma mater? That's right. So they have, they've had some breakthrough guys in pro ball as well. And, you know, Chesney Young, of course, is a... Chesney, one of the, great Georgia name. Great Georgia name. One of the best uh, pure hitters, I think, in the Southeast. I and mean, he's a really good player and he's a prospect. Um, we had a good... He was on one of our summer league lists last year, I think. North Woods, maybe, but uh, he's a, he's a good player, and uh, you know Derek Workman. I mean, that's those are three really good players to lead that offense. Um, again, they've got a lot of experience back on the mound. This is a team also that that I really thought about for the the top twenty five. I mean, seniors, uh, juniors in the rotation with 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 Brandon Barker, DJ Johnson. I mean, some of these veteran guys. Can't believe I forgot about the Greek closer Dimitri Cortis. That's right, exactly. How, How could I forget, forget about Dimitri? <laughs> I, I'm always surprised by the Greek guys who go by their actual Greek names. You know, Dimitri is just Jim. Why isn't he just Jim Cortis or Cortis? Mm. I don't know. My brother's Ethan, but my name's Ioannis. I don't go by Ioannis Manual. Well, but, you know, it's... it's uh, or Yanis, I guess. That would be a little bit different. Well, I mean, Pedro Martinez didn't go by Peter Martin either, so... That's true, but they used to do that to Latin American guys. You know, Bob Clemente, you know, Robbie Alomar. Sure, they did used sure, to do that, so... Sure. I like Dimitri Cortis, though. I, I like this team. Um, I just like the fact that this is, again, a... <laughs> An offensive program that just they have an identity. You kind of know, even just going into a year, what kind of team Craig Gibson's going to have at Mercer. Just like it's always going to be fairly physical, uh, older teams. It keeps guys for their junior and senior years. They're not necessarily always prospects, but they're good college players, and they're and, and they hit. And they led the nation last year in fielding percentage. That's it. And a lot of those core, they, they, their shortstop I think is a freshman, so that's one thing to watch. But. Um, but, you so know, it's, not a, it's not a bunch of tank guys out right. there. It's not a softball team. That's right. Although, although it, ironically, their defense kind of melted down in the regional and really cost them last year. But, but for most of the season, they were a very good defensive team. That is actually kind of ironic. Um, Aaron, I, I cheated last year on uh, or last year last issue on Omaha Sleeper. Omaha Sleeper just means someone who's not in the top twenty-five, and I picked Arizona State, which is not exactly a sleeper. You picked a UNC Wilmington with former BA intern Matt Batts. Um, uh, returning to their weekend rotation. Uh, again, another, another program that has always been pretty identifiable as really good pitching and pretty athletic, and they usually play pretty good defense. They play in a little bit bigger ballpark, and they usually play to that with recruiting athletes and speed. Or they have that kind of team again this year with the Seahawks? I think they're balanced. I think they can do a little bit of everything. I think they've got some power in there, um, you know, especially if, if – uh, um, uh, I put you on the spot here on, on UNC Wilmington. Yeah, I mean, the, the the is it Corey Dick? Is it is that his first name? Corey Dick. Yeah. If, yep. he, if he can, you know, if he can have a, a nice junior season, I mean, that guy's got some physicality. He's, he's produced for them over the years. Right. Um, I think Ryan Lagrange is a really nice player that that you know that can also bring some of that pop. Um, you know, I think they've got a little bit of speed on this team. I, I do like their defense. Terrence Connolly at, at shortstop is one of those really nice college players. Yeah. Um, you know, who just you know he's not really a big pro guy, but he just does a lot of things and, and kind of sets the tone for them. And then on the mound, I mean, that's that's I think where they're really strongest with, with Matt Batts, uh, yeah. the, the reigning coverage U.S. Uh, Colonial <laughs> Athletic Association right. Player of the Year. And then Jordan Ramsey, who's, who's the best prospect on this team, um, you know, he's a power arm guy, nine ninety three with a good slider and. and uh, you go back and look at Jordan Ramsey, and when we wrote up out of high school, there were three guys we wrote up in the Johnston County area, Jordan Ramsey, Logan Jernigan, 
And Brian Causey, I think is the other guy's name. And Causey signed as a ninth-round pick. I just looked this up today. Looked this up. He signed as a ninth-round pick, quarter of a million dollars to the Pirates. Pitched more than 100 innings this past year in the South Atlantic League. Had a very good year. The other guys there are Logan Jernigan at NC State, number two starter, and uh, and Jordan Ramsey. And I think both those guys, I think they, might, they, they I think they both ranked right behind Carlos Rodon. But the state of North Carolina that year, uh, out of high school, just look at the juniors. Now, Ramsey's one of them. Um, Jernigan, all the juniors at North Carolina State, with the exception of Trey Turner. Uh, ben Moss over at North Carolina. Um, there's one other junior at North Carolina who was on that high school list. But that was a good year in this state. McHugh. And just uh, Chris McHugh, that's who it is. And uh, that, uh, so it's just so unusual. The guy who was at the top of that list was Brett Austin. And he is uh, not considered the top of that list no. here three years later here. And that's kind of a, a segue into our was crystal that a five ball. Star, was that a five-star state? That I year? don't think it was considered one, if you can believe it. But you know, the 2011 draft was the last year that major league teams had no caps on their spending. They could spend whatever they wanted. The only teams that didn't go crazy with spending were all the owners who were trying to get uh, all-star games. You know, the Twins never went crazy. Hey, the Twins had the all-star game in 2014. The Mets never went crazy. Hey, the Mets just had the all-star game last year. You wanted favors from the commissioner's office. You did what the commissioner wanted in the draft. The Pirates had already had the all-star game at PNC Park, Hmm. and they decided this is our way to go. The Royals got awarded the 2011, I think it was, all-star game. uh, But they they went crazy. That's how they rebuilt their, their franchise. They spent... So this this draft class, this college class, I think is better than when it had any business being, considering how teams were throwing money around in 2011 right. Right. at high school players. And I feel like college baseball's underclasses, Aaron, the freshman and sophomore classes, are pretty strong. I feel like the talent in college baseball is improving. I'm always going to be a little bit of a college baseball apologist, I guess, but I do feel like the talent level is deeper yep. in college baseball. Do you feel like that same way? And, and if you look at, you talk about the underclasses, and one thing that... that Clint Longnecker crunched, uh, crunched the numbers and found that uh, I think it was was 14 players from last year's top 100 heading into the draft. 14 high school players uh, went went to college this year, which is the highest we've had in years. And yeah, you know, several several years there, it was something like three or five right. players in the top 100 went went to college. So it, it's it's a big difference. I think that what we were finding, what the clubs are finding, is that. More players decide, okay, I'm just going to sign. You know, I forget it. I'm just signing. I want to play pro ball. Even if they don't get the money they were looking for, they sign because they want to sign. So that happens more often, I think, than it did in the past. But at the same time, a lot of players do have this idea of, I'm going to get this much money. And when they don't get that much money, if you, if you don't get it in the first couple of rounds, it's a lot harder for you to get it now than it used to be. A lot harder. And that leads more and more players to come to college, so more top talents. I just I feel like you're going to have more guys uh, do that, uh, and so I, I feel like that helps the talent level. I'm, I'm looking at the, the sophomore, top 50 sophomore list. That's a deep list, Aaron. I mean, like DJ Stewart's number 22. DJ Stewart mashes. He's good. Trent Thornton's 24. Trent Thornton was the best freshman producer I saw outside of Alex Bregman all year last year. He yeah. was the most money freshman in the country outside of – Maybe the, the two guys I just mentioned, Bregman and maybe Stewart. I mean, you know, and Kevin Newman on there at twenty-seven to me. I mean, that's a that's a, a polished college shortstop. I mean, he's yeah. he's kind of like in that Christian Cologne mold a little bit. You know, I mean, he's uh, he, he's that's a guy that could that could really jump up next year. He had a great cape. I think he was a cape league batting champion. Um, there's a lot of depth in this class. 
there really is. So I, I do. Th- I think our freshman and sophomore classes are both pretty stout. Um, look at this. We actually have a related post freshman showing up on the top fifty sophomores. That's unreal. <laughs> um, Aaron, we have a first round pick, an unsigned first round pick in college this year. Phil Bigford. He's going to be what a midweek starter, basically at, probably. Uh, yeah, at, at probably. Cal State Fullerton. So Cal State Fullerton has a has some enviable depth. So uh, unsigned first round pick. He was neither of our preseason freshman of the year. I picked Garrett Williams because I do think Oklahoma State's kind of resurgent, hard throwing left hander. You picked Chris Oakey of Clemson. Um, in other words, we kind of have an ACC bent to some of this. I, I picked Florida State as my national champion. You picked Virginia. I picked Trey Turner as my college player of the year. We both picked Carlos Rodon as our Pitcher of the year, you had Kyle Schwarber as your player of the year. It, it does seem like this is, and you wrote about it in your column, it's an unusual year in that the ACC does, on paper, look like it has a chance to be its strongest that it's ever been. Yeah. And uh, I think you addressed it pretty well in your column. We talked about it in the Hangout. But this is not the norm for the Atlantic Coast Conference. And I'm still not trying to say that it's deeper than the SEC because it's not. You know, we talked about it earlier or, in the podcast. Or even the Pac-12. Even the Pac-12. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the Pac-12, um, you know, I, I see eight teams there that look like pretty legit regional teams in the Pac. Right. And, and I really only see seven in the ACC. Maybe eight, if you want to say Duke, maybe Pitt, one of those teams could make a run. Uh, but for me, I, I feel like there's a cutoff after six. And then right. Georgia Tech is seven, and then you've got another tier. Uh, the, Pac, the SEC, as we talked about, is, is 10 or 12 regional teams deep for me. Yep. Um, so that's the difference. But But at the top... I think the ACC is stronger than either of those leagues. Pac-12 is pretty close. Right. Um, and SEC is not that far back either. you got four teams in the top ten. Yeah, exactly. But uh, ACC has three teams in the top six. And to me, that that's unusual. And, you know, if you look at the history of our preseason rankings, that's unusual. Yeah, I was stunned that the ACC's preseason number ones were basically Georgia Tech twice, North Carolina, and that was it. That's it. Correct. That's it. This is only the fourth time in uh, 34 years that we've had an ACC team number one. That is stunning. I mean, that really is stunning. I I, uh, I would not have anticipated that. And the thing is, I wrote that press release when Georgia Tech was our preseason number one in 2001. I don't remember putting that in there. (laughs) I don't remember that being in the press release. That was the first time they were ever. And we had all the research. We had all the history. And I just don't think I looked it up. So it's going to be an interesting year to see if the ACC can follow through on that, whether it's uh, Virginia, uh, uh, Florida State, an NC State, someone else. Clemson, um, Miami, and UNC all look like, you know, th- those teams can make deep Omaha runs too, but they just they have a little more holes than those those top three teams do. And you're headed to Miami early in the year. Uh, yeah. So it's like your first weekend, a lot of people know your first couple of weekends. Uh, we are going to try to do a hangout on Friday. We'll see if we can do it for Wilmington. You, you might be on the road. Um, mm. So we'll see. Uh, you know, usually I'd say roads... Well, we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> Automatic but, plus two. But you do need roads to get to Wilmington. Uh, we don't have the Baseball America Sky 5 chopper. Only one road, the 40. That's right, exactly. And uh, using the western nomenclature, the west coast, the SoCal nomenclature of the 40. But, so you're headed to Wilmington the first weekend to see whom, and then you're going to Miami the next week after, after that. Just map yeah. that out for our listeners a little bit. Yeah, Virginia and Kentucky and VMI will be at a tournament there at Wilmington. And I think you're looking at... Uh, Three uh, regional teams there, and um, you know I think all three could be top twenty-five teams over the course of the season. Uh, and then week two, I'll be headed down to, to Florida to see Miami and Florida. And then uh, week three will be Clemson, South Carolina uh, yep. traveling series, which I've never actually attended in person. So I'm looking. So one to game in Greenville, one game in Columbia, one game at Clemson. Is that how they do that it? That is right. I think. Or do they do one in Charleston? 
Um, I think this year it's Greenville. Uh, I should probably look that up, but I think it's Greenville. It's a beautiful ballpark in Greenville. I've actually never been to the ballpark in Charleston, but I've been to Floor Field, and it's awesome. Um, And just the passion for college baseball in the Palmetto State is my favorite thing about the Palmetto State. Far and away, I love the passion of those fans and how into college baseball they are. It just... uh, it is, uh, and, and it's spread to this state, and it's been very yeah. fun to watch uh, the last few years. It just seems like it's spreading around the country. That's right. College baseball really has, uh, really has grown here. And but that's, but that's college baseball's best rivalry, Clemson and South Carolina, and I think both those teams are going to be very good again this year. I, like, like we've talked about, South Carolina is, is my pick to win the SEC, and and Clemson is a very exciting team to me. I love that sophomore class. I think. Yep. You know, we have them at number 13, which feels like the right spot, but that feels like they could be an Omaha caliber team, too. I, I think if all those sophomores uh, take that kind of step forward you expect sophomores to take, um, boy, they could be good. And they have that difference-making freshman. I mean, you just don't get catchers in college baseball. Yeah. With the athleticism that Chris Oakey has, it just doesn't happen. He, he's To me, he's he's in that special category of, of college catchers, like like a Mike Zanino. Without, no, I'm saying he's, he's that same right. kind of player, but, but yeah. same kind of difference-maker and leader. Um, you know, I mean, Buster Posey was that kind of guy, not not as a freshman, right. at, at, at catcher. Right. But, I mean, you know, th- those kind of guys are special, and, and I think he's in that class. It is rare. It is rare to have the offensive and defensive athlete behind the plate at, at any level, but especially <laughs> at the college level. You just don't see too many of those. So I, I, one other factor I'll throw in here, Aaron, I, you know, two years ago when you picked Stony Brook, I don't think you picked them because their weather was so good in the spring that year. You did that before the weather. But right. remember when Monmouth came down and we went and saw Monmouth. You were here. Obviously, you were in California. But the weather was great in the Northeast that spring. And all those teams talked about it. Kent State talked about it. Stony Brook talked about it. The weather in the Northeast and the Midwest stinks this year. And the Southeast. And it stinks down here. It stinks. The weather for coming out east. <laughs> it's been a terrible winter weather-wise. That's going to affect early season college baseball. Just for yes. example, next weekend... I don't know what the weather's been like in Vanderbilt in, in Nashville, but I don't think it's been very good. There's going to be a ton of heat in Southern California because Vanderbilt's opening in the West Coast, and so is NC State at Santa Barbara. Vanderbilt's at Long Beach, right? Yep. So you're going to see Tyler Beatty and Carlos Rodon. And, and any, any scout who's hoping to catch both those guys on the same night, Santa Barbara to Long Beach, I mean, during the middle of rush hour, good, good luck. luck. I good luck. I think the only ones that are doing that are have, uh, <laughs> have Scotty beaming them from one spot to the other. Nice. 50-year-old Star Trek joke of the day. But um, there are going to be a lot of t- a lot of scouting departments out there trying to see both those guys, if not the same scout. Right, right. And Good point. they're going to see guys throwing 75 to 80 pitches. I don't see how – I just saw Rodon for three innings the other day. I just don't see with the weather how most of these teams can build up their starters to be ready for day one. So I, I, I would caution our listeners to judge teams too harshly in the early season. Yep. I feel like in the early, the first two, three weeks of the year, teams in the Sun Belt that are, have had advantageous weather, which to me is basically going to be Arizona, Southern California, where it hasn't rained all year, and South Florida, that's about it. Even even Florida State had to deal with some uh, wintry mix. That's right. So in here in North Carolina, um, to be provincial, uh, NC State's getting ready to go to Santa Barbara. And it snowed a little bit today, and it's supposed to snow three inches tomorrow. Is it really three inches? Yes, tomorrow or Wednesday. So getting out of here is going to be tough, and getting ready to go play that team. So especially for teams from the Midwest, I think that's who's been hit the hardest this year. And the Northeast, I just think it's going to be very difficult for those teams. So if a team like a Kentucky or a Louisville uh, gets off to a slower start, 
if a Kent State or some of these teams get hammered uh, from the Northeast when they travel south to open the season. I think we have to give them a little rope this year, a little bit more maybe than usual, because it's been a very harsh winter from a baseball standpoint from the three weeks out, uh, January 24th, when these teams started practice, Aaron. I still think most of them, even in this area, a lot of their practices have been indoors. And I just think the weather is going to be a factor. And it's going to take a few weeks because of that for us to really get a read on how this season's playing out. So I, I think the first few weeks might have a few false flags to use a conspiracy theorist. Uh, People, you know what's going to happen, John? Indiana's going to come out in week two when they're going to play, you know, that against those Pac-12 teams at that uh, Big 12, Pac-12 challenge in Arizona. Yep. And, you know, they could struggle, and people are going to say, oh, you've got them way overranked. Well, I do think it'll be fascinating to see how Indiana handles expectations, first of all. That's a great Pre- Preseason number three, Baseball America cover. Tied you know, for the highest ranking in Big Ten history. It's, it's a big deal, and it's, it's a different position to be in, and not everyone handles that stuff well. That is a factor. Um, but I, yeah, their schedule does not have any gimmies. No. At Texas Tech, in Arizona for that tournament you're talking about, Louisville and Toledo, uh, Louisville's always going to be tough. Home game against Xavier. Imagine a major league team in Chicago. Imagine the Cubs, or they're, they're close enough to, 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 say, Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Chicago, either of those teams, playing a, a game on March 5th. I don't think the Major League Players Union would allow that. Right. Um, and they're at Jacksonville, and they're going to be at Long Beach State the weekend after that. I mean, that's that's their non-conference. With, mid-ga- with midweek games against Kentucky and, and another one against Louisville in there, too. I mean, it's, That is not easy. Yeah. So wouldn't surprise me if Indiana fell back in the rankings early, kind of the way that Wichita State used yep. to do all the time in our rankings back and in like the 90s. And like UConn did, you know, in yep. 2000. What year was that? Was that 2010? 2011. 2011. 11. Uh, they, they got up to a rough start. And, and I told people all year long, don't jump off the bandwagon on these guys. Even if they fall out of the rankings, they're going to be there at the end. And, and people banged on us for having them in there, and at the end they were there. And, and I think ultimately Indiana will be there too. We'll be back next Monday, every Monday after the Top 25 rankings. We come here, we talk dogs, daughters, college baseball, no big whoop with me and Aaron Fit. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.